So you have gone through some things in your life and you've come to the position in your life where you say, you know what, I'm done doing things my way. I'm done following my will. I'm going to put my trust in God as he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ. I'm going to become his follower. So I'm assuming that I'm describing a good number of us in here. And you come to that place where, again, you're saying that since I'm now a follower of Christ, I want to do God's will. I want to find God's will. I want to do God's will. I want to seek his will in everything that I do, every decision that I make. And maybe you were seeking God's will for clarification in some big decision. Maybe it was about a job. Maybe it was about a move pertaining to a job. And so you, you prayerfully sought God's will. You went to God's word. You maybe got some good godly counsel. And so you, you finally feel like you have some clarity on this decision that you're asking God to guide you, to lead you in. And so you pull the trigger. You make the decision. You make the move. Perhaps you move across country. You take a whole new type of career orientation or something. And now, now you've landed. And here's my question. How do you, how do we in these kinds of experiences that I just described, how do, we, how do we grasp, how do we receive, how do we understand, how do we perceive God's validation on this decision that we've made? In other words, how do we, how do we understand that this decision that I've made, that God is favoring this decision, he's pleased, he's sort of with me in this decision. How do we recognize that? What does that look like? Uh, circumstantially, how, how do we discern that? How does that feel inside? Well, what kind of emotions would we expect to have when we are experiencing God's validation, his, his letting us know, yes, you've, you've found my place, uh, my will for your life. What does that look like? We're going to look at a portion of Scripture that kind of picks up exactly where we left off last week. You remember we were following, how many, just curious, how many were here last week so you know at least a little something? Okay, now I'm going to assume some things here. Assuming is bad, but I'm going to assume you remember something about last week. And if not, I'll kind of pick you up today. The Apostle Paul was seeking clarification from God on where to go to make known the message of Christ. He wanted to go into Asia. He wanted to go into Bithynia. Spirit of God said, no, no, go instead to Macedonia. Go to Europe. Go to Greece. Paul follows. He goes from Troas to a city, a Roman colony named Philippi. It was about a colony of about 15,000 people. It was a place where retired soldiers, Roman soldiers settled down, but it was a big deal. It was a big cosmopolitan place. And so the apostle Paul believing that he is following the will of God, goes to Philippi. And now we're going to look at kind of what are some marks, what are some signs that God validated, yes, Paul, you are in the center of my will. Now, now remember, we're applying this to ourselves. How do I know? What are the signs that I can grab onto and count on that God is validating decisions that I'm making as I'm seeking to receive his guidance, his leadership in my life. So we're going to look at this. We're going to call it tonight the, the night of victimization and validation. Now, I know those words, victimization especially. Today, some of us, you know, we, we hear whole ideologies around victimization. I'm not getting anywhere near that. I, I'm using this term victimization in the simplest possible terms. It is when people are mistreated. It is when people are not being treated the way that God designed human beings to be treated. They're being treated unfairly, unjustly. They're being bullied. They're being taken advantage of. They're being used. They're being manipulated. I, I'm talking about that. I'm not talking about ideology of any kind victimization and validation uh, 
The connection between these two, I'm sure it kind of seems almost impossible, but perhaps by the end of this message, you'll see that there's a bigger connection than what we might suspect. So let's go right to the text. This is kind of where we left off last week. So the Apostle Paul, he's following what he believes is the guidance of God, the Spirit of God. He goes to Philippi, and we're going to just pick up on little excerpts of what happens once he lands it says, on the Sabbath, that would be a Saturday, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. It goes on. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. So this is a big-time businesswoman living in the city of Philippi, the colony of Philippi. She was a worshiper of God. Now, what that meant then was that she, though a Roman, she was a worshiper of the God of the Jews, the God of Judaism, okay? So that's what that meant in terms of she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, Paul is telling these women, he's saying that, that the God that you worship, he has now fully revealed himself in Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And he has so pulled back the veil on his sacrificial love for humanity that Jesus went to the cross voluntarily, allowed himself to be crucified, but then he rose from the grave to show that we needn't even be afraid of death as his followers. And now God is offering forgiveness of sins and eternal life to anyone that will put their trust in him and become his follower. I hope I just again described you. That you've also put your trust in Christ and become his follower in a world where everybody's following somebody. Most of us are following ourselves and our ideas and our will. Or we put our trust in Christ, our creator, who has demonstrated his trustworthiness primarily through his perfect life and his sacrificial death to let us know that nobody loves us the way he loves us. He loves us with a sacrificial love. So that, that promise of God, forgiveness of sins and everlasting life is for all who put their trust in Christ and become his follower. So Paul would have been telling her that. She would have been a worshiper of God waiting on the Messiah, the Christ, and Paul is saying he arrives. He's revealed the truth about God now and the truth about life. So that's kind of what the, the in-between dialogue would have been. She and the members of her household were, what, baptized. Now, let, let's pause there a minute. So Paul receives this guidance and he goes to this place far far away and right away he's getting response so it's kind of like you know you pray you're looking for you know God's guidance for maybe a new vocation or or whether he wants you to go somewhere do something and as soon as you land in the vocation as soon as you go to the place that you think that he wants you to go everything starts clicking man it's kind of like I got the job and wow I'm ready my, my boss was a Christian and the whole staff are Christians and everybody loves God and man we have Bible study at lunchtime and everything's clicking you know you're you're getting all these opportunities to speak openly about your love for God and all that kind of thing and so that's kind of what what he's having happen here okay it's it's like yes validation right okay let's go on once when we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a female slave who had a spirit uh, by which she predicted the future meaning this woman was demonized and if you want to know about demonization if you want a really accurate depiction of demonization there is a movie um and, and the name just shot to me somebody help me Kim where you be nefarious, nefarious. <laughs> there's a movie called nefarious if you can get it and watch it it is extremely well done it is theologically accurate 
And I would urge you all, if, if you're interested in understanding more about demonology, it is a real phenomenon. Anyway, this, this woman is demonized, and the demons in her, because they have access to people, you know, they could kind of give predictions of the future. It's never 100% accurate, but it's somewhat accurate. And anyway, she was a money-making machine for these owners of hers. So when her owners realized that their hope for making money was gone, they do what? Seized Paul and Silas. Um, and this is meaning they got really violent with them okay now the story goes on the crowd joined in so it's not just the guys the owners of the woman now it's the crowd the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods anybody know what beating with rods is like it's still done all around the world today mostly in Islamic countries it's about a four foot long bamboo rod and it will put something on you. Do you remember that kid in Hong Kong some years back? That uh, they, yeah, they beat him with rods, and uh, it, it was a big deal. Anyway, being beaten with rods is a serious thing. So first he's roughed up by the two guys. Then he's roughed up, Paul and Silas, by the crowd. Now they're beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, this adds a new element. Flogging was 39 lashes. So this is a, quite a turn of events. They were thrown into where? prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully now let's assume some things you don't throw somebody in prison unless they have been falsely charged or something Paul and Silas weren't doing anything wrong all they were doing was preaching Christ and all they were doing was freeing a woman from demon possession they were doing something good you have to let this sink in they were doing God's will they were doing the right thing and they were doing it at the right time and they were doing it in the right place but they find themselves being victimized, immediately victimized, seriously victimized. So remember that storyline goes, I knew I was in God's will because I got there and everything went good and it all clicked and it all fell into place and I just knew that, you know, that was God's validation, you know, that I was in the center of his will, I found his will. But what does this mean? Does this nullify that whole thought, pro thought process? When, when I'm suddenly falsely accused, assaulted very violently, and then thrown into jail, thrown into jail with false accusations hanging over my head that may change my life forever. Well, when they're thrown into this jail, they had no guarantee they would ever get out of the jail. So they have to factor all this in as they're trying to discern, you know, God's will, God's validation in this situation. So the first thing I think that I'd like to do today is for us to get a divine perspective on this thing I'm calling victimization. Because it's a reality in a world where there's evil. Listen to what the scripture tells us, though. The assurance that we have about victimization, it's in Romans 12, 19. It says, dear friends, never take what? The idea, don't retaliate. Don't, you know, Jesus said it in different ways. You know, don't, don't pay back evil for evil. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. God is angry at those that victimize others. But better than being angry at them, it says, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will what? I'll pay them back, says the Lord. So victimizers appear sometimes to be getting away with things in this life. They can, they can wreck another human being's life. Maybe some of you you were victimized in various ways and you're still trying to shake off the mental emotional maybe even physical results of it but God says 
I'm going to tell you one thing. You don't have to worry that these people that have victimized you, you don't have to worry for one second that they are going to get away with any of this. I will pay them back. They, the pain they have dealt you, they will experience it in a very exact form themselves. So this, this helps us because sometimes in this life, the repercussions from those that victimize us, it, it, it can change the course, the trajectory of our lives in, in difficult ways. So God right away guarantees. He says, don't, don't worry. So Paul and Silas, don't, don't worry. Don't, don't, don't think about revenge. I'm in this. I'm going to pay back. There's a day of judgment coming. There is a day of accountability coming for every human being. And those that victimize, they're not going to get away with it. We need to tuck that away. Now, here's a statement to get us started thinking. The existence of evil guarantees the pervasiveness of victimization. Because evil exists, victimization exists is going to exist and it's going to be pervasive and as I said a minute ago I'll bet that almost all of us in here in various ways various times in our lives have experienced some victimization you know it might be something as insignificant as when we were kids you know we were picked on or mocked or made fun of or humiliated but it might mean something a great deal more and and, and let me go on the other side of that truth be told a lot of us have done some victimizing in our times various various forms maybe not to the degree that we see physical violence but maybe to the degree we see physical violence too so we've been victimized and we victimize because we live in a world where evil exists the presence of evil will always make sure you're going to see how important this is in a minute you're going to it makes sure it makes absolute certainty that the weak in particular will be victimized um let, let, me, let me give a statement to kind of show you um, a little something about the whole thought process behind evil and victimization. V- victimization and evil, they're, they're, it's a very Darwinian thing. Dar- Darwinian meaning, you know, the survival of the fittest. The, if you're big enough, powerful enough, ruthless enough, cruel enough to get something and you want it, you take it. That's human history. It's pretty much the way things have been. And it goes on and on because evil is a lawless principle you're going to have this kind of thing. But let me go to the other side of this. The existence of evil guarantees pervasiveness of victimization, but the existence of God guarantees the eventual abolition of victimization. Jesus' resurrection from the grave assures evil has a short shelf life. When he returns, when he judges, when he sets up his kingdom, when he eventually creates a new heaven and a new earth, there's going to be the end of evil forever. We have to tuck this truth away because in this life, as we saw with Paul and Silas, we might find ourselves victimized. Now, I want to take you back into eternity past and show you that, that, that God himself has accepted and anticipated both the, the bringing into existence of evil. He didn't do it. He didn't cause it, but he, he knew it was going to occur. And he also thought in advance of what it would take to abolish evil. In the book of Revelation chapter 13, and I'm not going to get into the whole beginning of it, but, but many people who live on earth will worship the beast as the last time world ruler 
um, they are the ones whose names are not are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus called the Lamb. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, uh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's called the Lamb because he sacrificed himself to win back the trust of humanity to himself. Satan slandered the character of God, broke trust. Humans broke trust with God. Jesus now reveals God in fullness, particularly in his sacrificial death, to win back our trust. He's the Lamb. So these are people that are not written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb is the one, and this is where I want to bring it. The Lamb is the one whose death, whose death was, what does it say? Planned before the world was created. So God so accepted that evil was going to bring victimization that God chose in eternity past that he would be victimized. Jesus was victimized. He was given a false trial. He was slandered. He was physically beaten. He was violently handled. He was ultimately crucified. He allowed himself to be victimized. Evil started in heaven in the presence of God and his holy angels before humankind was ever created. God knew in advance that it would happen. He knew that if he created individual beings with free will, like he himself has, that it would be misused. The, the greatest gift that God could give, you go all the way back, turn to the past, the greatest gift God could give would be to create beings that have the ability to experience life like he himself does. For what I'm going with is, is this. Think about it. A mosquito experiences life on one level, uh, a squirrel on another level, a dog on another level, a human on a whole different level. God's greatest love gift was his decision to make beings like himself, mind, will, emotions. He knew that we would misuse the freedom. He knew that we would bring into the uh, universe the existence of evil. He also knew what it would take to abolish evil finally, fully, forever. And that abolition key was his own willingness to be victimized. You, you got you to let this sink in a little bit. We worship a God who took victimization, accepted it, that he would be victimized, but that in his victimization, he would abolish evil through the process of allowing himself to be victimized. Now, I want you to hear me clearly. I'm not saying that you should go and just needlessly become a victim. Certainly, that's counter to what God intends. But I am saying that God can take victimization when it's done for the right means in the right circumstance and he can do something very good with it he can bring something powerful out of it kind of tuck that away John 10 Jesus said kind of the same thing in John 10 he says I'm the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep no one what does it say no one Jesus looked to be victimized come on they were roughing him up they were whipping him. They were smacking him in the head with a crown of thorns. He looked to be a helpless victim. He was not. He says, no one takes, takes it from me, but I lay it down. What does it say? Of my own accord. You're not going to like the sound. It's Jesus chose to allow himself to be victimized. Now, he did it for a purpose. 
His purpose was that, as I said earlier in the message, to win back the trust of humanity, to show humanity that God is just not this almighty being who is all about his own power and his own ego, but he is, his almighty power is governed by his sacrificial love, that he only seeks our highest well-being and happiness. He only seeks our good. So he sacrificed himself. He allowed himself to be victimized so that the universe could see that the almighty God was not supremely self-protective, but that he was love-governed and love-motivated and always sought what is best for his own. So he sacrificed himself deliberately. He allowed himself to be victimized. Listen to this portion of Scripture from Acts, chapter 9, verse 15. It's, it's talking about the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he had just been converted. It says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, I have chosen this man to work for me, he will announce my name to the Gentiles that was anybody that was not a Jew and to their kings he will also announce my name to the people of Israel now, now stop right there for a minute would, would you like that job offer? I mean you don't have to raise your hand but you know, here's the God of the universe saying I'm choosing you I, I, I want you I want you to be a big deal for me I want you to go and to make me known I want you to make my name known the truth about me the truth about life I want you to go far and wide I'm choosing you you're my man, you're my woman. I, I want to work through you. Just curious, how many you would like to sign up for that job? Can I see your hands? Let's see, how many would sign up for it? Some of you were hesitant. Can I show you the rest of the job description? <laughs> would you like to see the rest of the job description? Here it is. I will show him how much he must what? Suffer for who? Me. Ah, man, that throws a monkey wrench into things. Sounds like he's saying you're going to have to be willing to be victimized if I can work through you and make myself known through you. Remember, God himself has chosen to be victimized so that he can free us primarily from the distrust of God and also from the fear of death. It says in Hebrews 2 that, that Jesus wants to set us free from the fear of death. Jesus showed the impotence of evil. Evil did everything that it could to Jesus. Mocked him, humiliated him, stripped him, beat him, nailed him to a cross and killed him. But he rose from the grave showing that righteous love is superior to evil and he wants us now not to be afraid of evil and the worst that evil can do because it's going to sound stupid but it can only kill us and since Jesus rose from the dead he brought immortality to light we know this life is a developmental journey it has a start it has a stop it's too short for even those that live the longest but we are assured of life immediately uh, when this spirit of ours leaves our body. So Jesus wants us to be fearless of even the worst degree of victimization. Randy, you sound like you're saying, man, we should all, we should all try to be abused. We, we, we should all set ourselves up to be, you know, just taken advantage of and manipulated and conned and walked on and disrespected. It's not what I'm saying at all. Paul and Silas didn't want to be beaten up the way they were. That was not their intention. Their intention was to do what was right in the sight of God and to serve God. But sometimes that meant being victimized. Paul, 
you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to suffer me. The existence of Christians, if we, we can go to this, oh, excuse me, First Peter 2.20. If you suffer, now, now mind you, this is written during a time when Christians were being rounded up and arrested because Rome had been burnt down. Nero was accusing the Christians of being the ones that burned it down. Christians were being rounded up, taken to the Colosseum, and murdered because they were Christians. So Peter is writing to those. He says, if you suffer for doing what? Good. So, so you're doing the right thing. Like Paul and Silas, you're doing the right thing. You're in the center of God's will. You're doing the right thing. But if you suffer for doing good and you do what? You endure it. This is commendable before God. In other words, God's taking notice, and he's saying, you're, you're representing me accurately. To this you were, what does it say? Come on, man. You mean, Randy, this gospel is supposed to be good news. That's what gospel means, good news. And now you're telling me that part of the gospel, the good news, is God calls us to suffer. That doesn't sound like good news. That, that sounds actually, Randy, like very bad news. I mean, I thought if God loved me, he would use that almighty power of his to protect me, kind of encapsulate me, and see to it that I never am mistreated, never given injustice, never hurt, never wounded, never have a, a heart that breaks or a broken heart. You know, I, I mean, why doesn't he use his power to kind of take better care of his people? To this you were called. Why? Because... Christ suffered for you, leaving you a what? An example that you should what? Wow, man. Jesus was victimized. And he's saying that we should, as his followers, be prepared to accept victimization. Mind you, we're not looking for it, but as we do the will of God, as we, remember how it started? do good we're doing good we're doing the right thing we should not be shocked if in that process we experience victimization and when we do experience victimization we should be saying you know i'm i'm now experiencing what my lord experienced i know what it feels like to be righteous and be mistreated i know what it feels like to to be loving and caring for others and yet having everything come crashing down that's what my Lord went through. But he was sacrificing himself for the greater good, and now I'm allowed to do the same. So let's close with this statement for this first point. The existence of Christians guarantees present victories over victimization. Real followers of Christ take victimization, absorb it, and transform it and turn it into victories, things that honor God and bless people. Now, that is not an easy thing, but that is a thing that God will enable and wants us to do. Now, I want to pick the storyline uh, story up with you, and, 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 and let's, let's, let's kind of contemporize this a little bit. Remember, you know, we're saying, so we're seeking the guidance of God. We prayed. We sought his will. We make a decision. Everything goes great at first. We feel validated because everything is working. It's clicking. We're in the flow. This, we know God's favoring us now, but then it all goes bad. And the question is, is, is what goes through our mind then? So you're Paul. You're Silas. It felt really good for a while. You were reaching people for Christ. Everything was going fine. In fact, that lady, Lydia, she said, you can set your base of operation up right here in my house. She was a wealthy lady. So everything's going good, and then everything went really, really bad. What goes through our heads when it goes really, really bad? 
Look what happened with Paul. About midnight, here's our night. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were what? Listen, when you and I, when you and I are in trouble, when we've been victimized, when we're beaten down, when we're mistreated, when we're treated unjust, when we're not being treated fair, when we're being manipulated and pushed and prodded and people are always watching. We're not aware that people are watching. People are always listening. We're not aware that they're listening. But they want, they want to see what are we made of. How do we handle adversity? Uh, does our attitude toward God stay consistent? during Because if it does, that gives great credibility to this one that we supposedly trust in and are following. It gives great credibility to us as his followers. So they were singing at midnight. The other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now it looked really bad for Paul and Silas. They were in jail. They didn't know how long they were going to be in jail. There was no promise they would ever get out of jail. But suddenly God breaks them free now for some of you I want you to let this kind of give you some hope maybe some of you in here today you have you have been experiencing mistreatment for a long time maybe you're experiencing some victimization and you have been for a long time and because you want to do the right thing in the sight of God, because you want to honor Him, because you want to serve others, even those that might be mistreating you, you want to love them the way God would have them loved, you're absorbing some mistreatment and victimization. And maybe you've become near hopeless that your circumstance will ever change. This earthquake gives all of us hope that the day could come when suddenly the shackles fall off suddenly the breakthrough comes suddenly things get turned around and when that happens we will be very glad that at midnight the darkest time in our lives instead of yelling at God and complaining and saying why did I ever trust you why did I ever follow you why aren't you protecting me why would you let this happen to me don't you see what I'm going through you don't care about me you're not a good God you're not worthy of my trust instead of that happening to us we're singing and we're praising God regardless of our pain now the reason we can sing and praise God regardless of our pain is because our God went to a cross he accepted victimization for us we know that he loves us we know that he's good we know that his kingdom is going to come and his will is going to be done we know that it looked really bad for him on that cross but he rose from the grave and we know that he will keep his promises God doesn't change just because my circumstances change just because I'm being victimized it doesn't mean that God has turned his back on me that he loves me any less that he's not with me that he's not for me but I and we always need to know that we need to tuck that away or else instead of singing and praising God in those midnights of life where hope is pretty much gone we'll be angry and we'll be complaining and at the time some of you got to hear this the time when we need God the most we're angry at him and he can't help us he can't he can't give us the strength that he wants to give us but for some of us God bless you this, this might be this might be your day it might be your month it might be your year that your breakthrough comes the chains fall off it may not come but for some it will and it does Joseph 
Uh, read about it in Genesis chapter 36, the story of Joseph, 36 through 50. He goes through a 13-year period of just being victimized again and again and again, but then God brings him out. Suddenly the chains fall, and he becomes the, the leader of the nation of Egypt and the savior of his family. So hang in there. Hang in there is what I'm trying to say. Let's go on with the story. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Then leading them outside, he said, men, this is the jailer now asking this question. Men, what must I do to be, what does it say? Is that a setup? I mean, if you're a Christian and you're wanting to share Christ with somebody, and they're, they're, what must I do to be saved? Now, you know what's sad? You go to churches all over America, and when somebody asks that question, you could hear a whole list of things. Well, you need to, uh, you need to go on the Romans road. You, you need to say the sinner's prayer. Um, you need to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart and change you to become the kind of person he wants you to be. And on and on. You need to believe that Jesus died and paid the penalty for all of your sins and that he rose again. And on and on and on and on and on it goes. I, I don't know. I, I think the Apostle Paul is pretty trustworthy. You know, he, he, was, he was God's man, his chosen man. So let's ask the Apostle Paul, what must a human being do to be saved and by saved it means forgiveness of sins entrance into God's family reception of eternal life and then the working of the spirit of God in our life to help us become who we were meant to become evermore what does it mean to be saved to be rescued from our sins here's what Paul says they said this is Paul and Silas what does it say trust in and that Yeshua it just means Jesus it's a Hebrew translation. Trust in the Lord Yeshua, and you will be what? He didn't add any of that other stuff. It's not that those other things might not have some theological truth to them, but they are not what we should be saying to people when people are ready to turn to God. We ought to be saying, all you need to do, my brother, my sister, my friend, all you need to do is put your trust in Christ and become his follower. And you'll be saved. We don't need to add anything. We must not add anything. We must stop adding things and compl complicating that which God has made simple. You say, but Randy, don't people need to know about other doctrine? And, yeah, that, that can come later when, when you're growing. But for a person to go from being lost, and the Bible uses that term, as a human being, I'm lost. I don't know who I am. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know why life is the way it is. I sure don't know what's going to happen after death. I don't know what the future will. I'm lost apart from God. And to be saved, I need to return to that trust relationship with my creator. Adam and Eve, before Satan came into the Garden of Eden and slandered God's character, they trusted in God completely. Now that trust needs to be restored let's keep it simple folks let's keep it accurate when we're talking to people they just need to put their trust in christ and become his follower all right let's go on a divine pattern of validation now now we talked about vindication and validation 
And I want to pose this question to you. Is it possible? Because we tend to think that God's validation, you know, like, man, I prayed, I made this decision, and now I know God's with me. I know he's, he's for me. I know he's blessing me. He's validating me because everything is working just right. You know, it's, it's all clicking. It's all flowing. I got the job, and the job is it's all Christian people, and yada, yada, yada. And we tell the story on and on. And God bless you if that's your case. That's okay, too. But we need to expand our understanding of God's validation to include victimization. God's validation on your life, my life, sometimes will manifest in the form of our being victimized for the cause of Christ. I'm victimized because I'm going to stay faithful to the will of God, to the word of God. And when I am victimized for staying faithful to the will and the word of God or doing the work of God, I need to understand that's God's validation. That's the truth. That's what was happening with Paul. They went from, you know, everything going good, everything easy breezy clicking to just horrific circumstances. They're physically beaten. They're thrown into jail. But then God brings them out and they end up leading that jailer and his entire family to Christ. Uh, they, they end up baptizing them, you know. So what, I, what I'm trying to get you to see is that victimization is sometimes God's validation that we're doing exactly what he wants us to do the way he wants us to do it. Psalm 34 says this, shows this has been a consistent truth throughout the, the time that God's people have been on earth. The righteous person may have many what? Troubles. The, the righteous person, not the bad person, the righteous person, but here's the mark of validation. The Lord does what? Delivers him from them all. When Paul described his conversion to Christ in Acts chapter 26, he says that God promised that he would keep rescuing him. This is what that's saying. The validation of God can be recognized that, yes, we're victimized in various ways, but God rescues us. He keeps us alive. He keeps us in the game. He keeps us functional. He keeps us sane. He keeps us loving when it would be easier to hate. He keeps us caring when it would be easier to be bitter and retaliatory. Some of you, man, you, you really need to hear that part right there. That, that, that's a key to a set of circumstances you're in right now. Revelation adds this to it. Revelation 3, 7. We're looking for marks of God's validation on our life, showing that he, he's favoring us, that we're right in the center of his will. Revelation 3, Christ writing to a, a church, it says, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. Now, catch this. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. What does it mean, open door? Paul talks, uses the same terminology in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, man, I got this door open for me in Ephesus, but there's many adversaries, he writes to the Corinthians. What is an open door? An open door, first of all, we have to nail this down. When I have an open door, when you have an open door in your life, this is a manifestation of God's validation. His hand is on our lives. His favor is on our lives. Now remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, he had an open door, but there were many adversaries. An open door. An open door is simply this. 
it is an open opportunity for you and I to try to discuss the truth about God in life with other human beings. It is an open door to converse with people about Christ. It is an open door to invite somebody to a church. It's an open door to serve somebody in the name of Jesus, to be a part of someone's life and try to deliberately, intentionally, but, but tactfully and sympathetically kind of influence them to move them toward Christ. It's an open door. When you and I still have an open door to serve God, to serve others, to speak in the name of Christ to others, that's God's validation. But it may not come without some, some friction. It may not come without some challenges. But that's where I have to look for my validation. I don't look for my validation like, oh, man, everything went so smooth. You know, I just went from this to that, and then everybody favored me here. Well, nobody was favoring Paul and Silas. They were getting beaten. They were victimized, but the door was still open for them. They get out of jail, and they continued to preach Christ all over Europe. Do we have an open door? Because that's God's validation. Are we in trouble, but God keeps us functioning? He keeps us alive. He rescues us. Maybe we go through some tough things, but we come out on the other side. That's God's validation. He's with us. His hand is on our lives. Let's look again. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is like a tree producing life. Get this last part. And the one who, what does it say? Wins souls is wise. Paul and Silas went on to win many souls to Christ, even though they were victimized. Frankly, because they were victimized, they won the jailer and his family to Christ. Maybe that's a truth some of us got to hear. What if... In order for you or I to reach somebody for Christ, to influence somebody's eternal destiny, we ourselves had to be victimized before that could happen, before the circumstances would be um, the proper ones for us to have credibility. You know, the reason the jailer was so impressed with Paul and Silas was because when they were so brutally treated, when they were so unjustly treated, when they were so mistreated, when they were so victimized, these guys were not bitter they were not complaining they were not whining they were praising their God they knew God was good they, they knew that evil is existent they understood what they were getting in other words they you got to hear this they were willing victims if I need to be victimized for the cause of Christ for another human being to be open to hear the truth about God I'll be victimized and I'll accept it I'm just curious I'm, I'm going to change gears with you a little bit how, how, many, how many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl can I see your hands <laughs> it's, it's okay it's, good. it's, it's not, not, not evil <laughs> um, <laughs> so like when Travis Kelsey stretches out and catches the game winning touchdown <laughs> knowing knowing that two defenders are full steam and they're going to wipe him out. I mean, they're, they're going to blast him. He knows he's a victim, but he's a willing victim because he considers what he is suffering for to be of more worth than his personal discomfort. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about us seeing things from God's perspective and realizing that certain things are worth suffering for if that is what it takes to achieve God's end because God's looking at these things from an eternal vantage point Daniel reiterates this about souls reaching souls winning souls those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who do what do what 
lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Paul, Silas, they go on to lead many to righteousness. You guys, I hope, are going to lead many to righteousness. You're going to influence people dramatically and tremendously. It's It's going to change the quality of their life in this world. The very best gift that you and I can give to any human being, make no mistake about it, the very best gift is to bring them closer to Christ their creator, to bring them into a relationship with him, bring them to reconnect with Christ by trusting in him, and that will change the quality of their life in this world in a beneficial way, and it will change their eternal destiny. And that's going to be worth a lot once we get on that other side, that other dimension we're going to see. So let these thoughts kind of sink in. Victimization sometimes is God's way of validating that we are effective. We are dangerous people. We are people that the enemy sees really are leading others, influencing others toward Christ, toward truth, toward the best life possible in this world. Let me kind of summarize what we've went over. The existence of evil, it guarantees the pervasiveness of victimization. It's not going to stop until Jesus returns. In fact, Victimization is going to get worse as the world gets closer to the return of Christ. The existence of God guarantees the eventual abolition of victimization. Once Christ returns, his kingdom comes, and then finally after a thousand years of his reign, the the making of a new heaven and new earth, evil will be abolished forever, as will victimization along with it. And then this last, the existence of Christians guarantees the present victories over victimization. We have to become those like Paul and Silas that we can sing praise to God when we're in pain, when we've been mistreated, when when it's unfair, when it's unjust, when we don't even know that the prison doors are going to be unlocked for us ever. We've got to have that kind of confidence in God that gains credibility for the message we are sharing and it gains credibility to us as his followers. Now, there's a because. There's a because. The reason, the reason, the because is this. Divinely inspired voluntary acceptance of victimization. In other words, because God has so won my trust, my my confidence I so see his love I'm so convicted of his goodness so I'm divinely inspired to voluntary acceptance of victimization it brings divine validation and everlasting good I'm not afraid of being victimized I'm not afraid of being taken advantage of I'm not afraid of pain anymore and you need to be the same way because you can't run from pain in fact We'd be wise to run toward pain, but also toward God in the pain. They were singing praises, and they were in jail, and physically, they they were really in pain. But they weren't in pain mentally and emotionally because of their trust in God, because of the assurance that his validation was with him. They knew they were pleasing to him. They knew they were in the right place at the right time doing the right things. And they quickly, when the opportunity came, when the door was open, <laughs> they reached right out to that jailer who, who knows if he had been part of the beating of them earlier or not. So, have you perhaps been confused about God's validation in your life? I'm not saying that his validation doesn't 
manifest itself when we pray and things go well and you know everything clicks and everything falls into place that that can absolutely be a manifestation of his validation that we've made the right decision but don't exclude that the darkest most painful experiences in your life the worst mistreatment the worst injustice the the most undeserved sufferings don't don't let that confuse you to think that God's not with you, that he isn't for you, that he, that he doesn't feel your pain and suffer with you. You have to factor that in. Sometimes God wants us to be sacrificial lovers just like he himself is. And you can't be a sacrificial lover in a world of evil without experiencing pain. Don't run from the pain. Run toward the pain, but run toward God in the pain. Let's pray. Father, may we be a, a courageous people, an unselfishly brave, courageous people who, like you, lay down our lives, if necessary, for the sake of your righteousness, for the sake of your word, for the sake of your will, uh, for the sake of reaching those that you have loved with an eternal love. Help us to, to see through our confusion that we will be those that praise at midnight, the midnights of our lives. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.